0: Hi everyone, this is Grant Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast, brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Suzanne Steele, or Suze as she prefers to be called, is the managing director, UK and Ireland, for Adobe. And prior to that, she had a similar role in Australia. She's had an amazing career after growing up in a working-class family where going to university was never a possibility. In fact, she never finished high school. This was a real challenge in her early career where having a degree was often the prerequisite for many career positions. Her big break came when an entrepreneur saw something in ensues which she didn't see in herself. She was employed too in an organization that grew to 300 people before it was sold. During this rapid growth, she was a relentless learner and was exposed to all parts of the business. She is not afraid to set stretch targets and announced to the Australian media just at the start of COVID that Adobe was going to double in size in the next two years. She is a passionate advocate of having and sharing a compelling vision. And this is central to having a robust executive team. The vision at Adobe is, we are changing the world through digital experiences. She also describes how she approaches a direct report who has disappointed her and how that conversation unfolds. Suze has been very good at securing great mentors at many times in her career and believes this has been essential to her success. She is sure that she has a book inside her and it has the working title, You Wouldn't Believe This If I Told You. Suze is humble, grounded and inspiring. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Suze Steele to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Suze.
1: Thank you, Graham, and thank you for having me.
0: It's lovely to have you from the United Kingdom speaking with us today. And as we mentioned in the lead-in, there's been uh, a lot of change in the six months since you've been back there. But I'll start with the, the first question, which is, what does care in the workplace mean to you?
1: Care in the workplace, um, to me, means knowing your people And um, understanding them as a whole person, not just in in terms of what you see in them doing their job.
0: Mm. And what do you do to sort of find out those, uh, you know, the, the whole person? Do you just observe or do you ask certain questions? How do you do that?
1: Um, well, two things. I think you never find out about the whole person unless you're prepared to be your own authentic self, right? And and show your true self, right? So, um, how I do that, and certainly having you know recently moved back from Australia and had to get to know a whole new team of people um, and a much bigger team of people, how I how I do that is by you know sharing about me and what my values are and what's important to me. Um and really spending you have to invest time, right? You have to get to know people. Um, and it's a big investment of time that uh you, you can't shortcut it.
0: And how does care apply to your customers?
1: We are um a business that's um is focused on customer experience and helping our customers deliver. Um, exceptional customer experiences. So what we try to do um, is to ensure that our customers' experience of Adobe and dealing with Adobe is authentic and that we really spend some time, again, um, getting to know our customers and the challenges that they face within their business how are they measured? You know, what are they up against? And obviously, as you can imagine, um, certainly having recently, as I say, come back to the UK, there's a lot of change in the United Kingdom. Um, mm. It started with Brexit. And, you know, it just recently it's sort of, we've had three prime ministers in three months, the inflation's through the roof. Um, and we are seeing our customers facing some really difficult times. We need to be... In lockstep with those customers, understanding what they're going through and helping them uh, make the most of, you know, their investment in Adobe, but being side by side and sharing, you know, how they're measured and what's important to them, and holding that voice of the customer in all of our interactions internally as well as externally is something that we actually take great pride in.
0: That social change that you've experienced very, very quickly, you know, three prime ministers, the Queen passes away, Brexit not so long ago, how is that impacting businesses that you deal with?
1: I think this all started really, the the change pendulum really hit us, didn't it, in 2020, you know, when businesses that had, you know, solid trajectories, there wasn't a lot of change, you know, all of a sudden... The world turned upside down, didn't it? Really, and I think what we're seeing now is just a continuation of um, the change—the change pendulum swinging from one side of of you know of things to another, and it really is impacting um, our customers. And what we're seeing is that in the main, our change is constant and our customers need to be prepared for for that. You know, you don't, you you can't see round corners right now. You know, it's really very, very difficult Um, and many of our customers, you know, want to deliver exceptional customer experiences to their customers and help them in the moments that matter and and we need to help our customers do exactly that.
0: And one of the biggest things humans struggle with is uncertainty, isn't it? And, uh, you know, in the, The uh, programs that I've done online and in person for the last couple of years, I've always asked people what's been most stressful, including, you know, fear of illness to family and friends, fear of losing job. But the one that has always been number one is uncertainty. And uh, I've I've seen you quoted as in terms of your approach to job as being experiential. (laughs) What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I would come, let me come back to the beginning of that question. You know, uncertainty is, an unpredictability causes great stress um, in, in life, right? So things that happen that are unexpected causes great stress in life. And I think, you know, for me, being experiential is really about sharing how I feel in the moment, right, and being open to conversations about, you know, your own mental health and your own mental well-being and how you're dealing with that uncertainty and how you're experiencing that uncertainty. And I think, you know, for, for me, I've always been a very transparent sort of Authentic leader, um, because I think it's too complicated to try and have a facade. To be perfectly honest, I think you know it's it's much less stressful to be who you are, and I've, I'm very grateful that in my role at Adobe and when I landed at Adobe, I really felt able to be my authentic self, and I think that played out really through COVID um, when. You know, we went from a business that we're a real people business. You know, we're in with our customers and in with our people. Mm. All of our meetings were face to face. Yet we're a digital business that enables digital experiences. And suddenly the world turned on its head. And this was the only interaction over a video that we could have um, with other human beings. And, you know, certainly for me, I was very open about what I was experiencing.
0: Yeah, I've also just, you know, it was a real struggle just being totally dependent on Zoom. It was certainly better than nothing, but it just isn't the same. And I've, uh, of the last two or three months I've spoken about, um, about eight conferences and you just see how excited people are to be together. You know, often they haven't seen wow. each other for three or four years. And, um, yeah. my, my wife is a cancer epidemiologist and she recently went to, um, Zurich for a conference, She said it was just like a homecoming. Everyone was so excited to catch up in person and uh, yeah. I think we sorely needed it.
1: Well, and I think the truth is we took that very for granted. Um, mm. I think it was just how we did things, wasn't it? You know, we were always face-to-face. I mean, I know that I personally was on a plane doing long-haul flights every four to six weeks. And I will never go back to that because I now realise I was permanently jet-lagged. And, um, you know, you have to you have to think about when you do come together, what are those moments really for? If you're coming together to sit behind a screen, I mean, then you need to ask yourself, you know, why couldn't you have done that, you know, without getting on a flight for 15 hours? But yeah, we took that for... I think we took that very for granted. And I know when I first landed here within the first five weeks, I brought the entire team together um, for an event, which was all about us getting to know each other and, you know, setting out our goals and objectives. And people were so excited. And it was the first time in many cases that some of them, they hadn't even met their colleagues before. Yeah. You know, we've had, lot, we've had a lot of growth in our business and a lot of people have joined, um, you know, since COVID. So, yeah, and I, I really feel that... We do need to be thoughtful about those those moments when we bring people together because it needs to be it needs to be frequent, but it also needs to be extremely purposeful.
0: Yeah. And what was Just the size can. of the team you, what was the size of the team you brought together?
1: Um, in that, so that was really our field sales team. It was about three hundred and fifty people. Right. So we're about twelve hundred people in the Adobe UK and I business um, that I, that I'm uh, lucky enough to run. But we brought we brought the field together really, mm. and customers. We had customers come and talk, and we did panels, and we did a little bit of uh, you know social impact work and team building, and. It was, it was hugely successful and um, people even today, you know, we're a few more months in, I'll always stop me and say that was an amazing event and it's just it taught us what being back together means. And since then we've seen increasingly week on week we're seeing more and more people coming back into the office. So, yeah, it's good.
0: How do you go about leading your team? What are the important elements that, um, or foundations you'd like to see in place?
1: I think the key thing is setting a goal and being very clear about what what you want to achieve with the business and articulating that so that people understand what it is you're trying to drive to. So that's the first thing. um, Very much so, you know, set that. What's that north star for the team? You know I mean? Yes, you know, Adobe is a hugely... um, innovative and successful business. And, you know, I feel very, as I say, I feel very lucky to, um, as I say, wear the team jersey um, as the leader of the business. And I I really need everybody to feel like that, that, you know, this is a great place to be and that they can be hugely successful, whatever success means for them. Right. So success is not always, um, in fact, infrequently, is it about getting to the top of the tree in a business? Right. It's about feeling fulfilled as a human being. And knowing that you're making an impact, you know, in your in your life in, with your job, you know, in your communities, and so setting that north star and helping people understand the part they play is really really important. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, as I said at the top of the the um, call, it's really about getting to know people and knowing what makes people tick. <laughs> And what does success look like for them? And being able to ensure that, you know, what you're putting around them is going to allow them to be successful, however they may deem success to be for them. It's a very personal thing.
0: Yeah, and I love a saying from Maya Angelou on that topic. And she said, success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. It's short and pithy, but it's great, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And it's very true. And there is a moment, you know, you No, know, I've had some of these moments in my career where you know, you're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. You know, that something isn't right. And in most cases, you're not really meant to be there. Yeah. Um, and it's a very horrible feeling if you end up in that situation, and you you can't, you know, for whatever reasons, make a make a choice, you know, you're a bit mm-hmm. trapped. But that that sort of yeah, I feel that finding your purpose in a in life um, and that perfect Venn diagram as you just described, you know, um, it does take a it takes a few missteps to sometimes get there. But uh, but when you do, it's very very satisfying.
0: Yes, very much so. How do you prepare? your people for the future. What, what are the what are the things that you say and do? You mentioned having a goal. Um, how do you go about achieving that shared clarity so people understand how that goal flows down to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's by being articulate about what is the goal, and then you know. I've got, an, I've got a great leadership team um, here in, in the business and it's how you cascade it. You know, you go from 1,200 people down to teams of, of seven and it's how you sort of the momentum that you build through that cascade, through bringing people together, through, you know, all hands and town halls, through celebrating success, but also celebrating, you know, some of the failures, you know, I always say a failure just means you're one step closer to the next success, right? And so yeah. celebrating what went well, even when things don't completely um, go to plan. Uh, so that's the first thing, is actually the communication is is uh, king and queen in, in my book. You know, people knowing what we stand for, knowing what we're trying to achieve, and feeling that they can you know they can see where they fit in right you know we're going to get everybody to the top of the mountain and when we get to the top of the mountain you know we want everybody still tethered on right we don't want to leave leave people behind and i'm very much i cascade the message that way i describe the leadership team as the advance party, our job is to go up the mountain and remove the mines and the obstacles so that everybody else can make it up to the top. Um, and I think so. So first of all, communication. Secondly, I think understanding people's development needs. Right. So you know, obviously, we we hire great people um, into our business. Our job is to for them to stay great and to become exceptional and the best the best um, in town, right? So if you work for Adobe and, you know, we want you to be the best at your craft, whatever your craft is. Mm -hmm. And so we do spend a lot of time and investment um, on developing our people, understanding their development needs. Um, And that's not just, you know, skills, so skills for the future, which is really, really important. Mm -hmm. But it's also um, helping people embrace diversity and inclusion. We have a fantastic um, program called Adobe for All, which is all about, you know, everybody has a place in Adobe, we want that diversity of opinion and we want to be hugely inclusive, but, you know, we need to show people how to, how to do that. Right. So, um, so I think it's not just the skill, the skills piece, it's also this broader developmental piece around, um, you know, things like diversity and inclusion Um right the way across to you know negotiation skills and presentation skills and everything else but uh we we spend a lot of time on personal development plans for our people
0: and i understand that you and also adobe have been very successful at um elevating women in the business and i read somewhere i don't know if this is true that there's pay parity in adobe with women is is that true
1: Globally, yes. Globally. We first achieved which gender pay parity was something that um, Adobe Leadership made a pledge that by 2018 they would achieve gender pay parity, and they did. We did. Thereafter, we've maintained it um, every year because um, it's, so, it's not something that you can just do as a moment in time. You know, you have to keep on top of it. Um, and... You know, we've achieved that globally um, across the world, and I don't know of and I don't know of any other company that's managed to do that, right? Um, and that gives me great hope. You know, I'm a I'm a big ambassador for you know women, and um, you know we are a long way off equal equal rights and equal opportunity, mm. um, but we are making great strides, and every every little bit helps And getting gender pay parity. Was, was really important for us. You know, mm-hmm. we need as many women as men in the workplace. And we also have a great, uh, and I think mm-hmm. it's one of the best leadership um, programs that I've ever seen in my, my quite long career, which is called Leadership Circles, mm-hmm. which is um, for our high potential uh, women who are below sort of director, senior director level, and it's a year-long program. We put about, it's, we've, it's, we're just into our tenth year because we've just had our tenth year celebration, wow. um, and we put around 200 women a year through a very structured program um obviously clearly previously we used to do it all face to face they'd come together several times a year now we do it now we do it uh in a hybrid way and as I say we've just celebrated our 10th our 10th anniversary and I'm actually one of the executive champions on leadership circles um and it's it's just a fantastic um program i have to say that um i feel like i've gatecrashed it a little bit because i i wasn't eligible to be on it but by being an executive champion i get to sit through you know all of the different modules and it's fantastic you know it's 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 really great and we've seen a very high percentage of the women that have completed leadership circles go on to be promoted um w- within adobe so it's uh yeah but you again come back to a previous point, as an organisation and as a leader, you have to be very deliberate about these things. You have to, you know, pursue them uh, relentlessly if you're yeah. going to make a. I
0: I just wanted to jump back to you saying that um, Adobe has become one of the few companies in the world where there is gender parity with pay. What were the steps that helped to get you there?
1: I think the first step was um, our then head of employee experience a lady called Donna Morris who uh, um, actually left Adobe but Donna and the the executive team um, made a decision that this was going to happen and they were going to achieve it and they then rolled out a program of it's a huge it took quite some time mm-hmm. for us to first of all understand you know where we are what was the benchmark in terms of um, pay parity. Um, and then actually to write it, you have to make some big decisions, right? So, um, through a process over, it took, I want to say it took two to three years to go through a process, um, with it. So you've got two things, you've got the existing team, right? You've got the existing employees within Adobe and you have to get to parity and you can only do that over a few years. Um, But then you've also got to set some steps in place to make sure that as you're recruiting, you know, and if I think about, I'm pretty sure the stat is that since COVID, we've recruited something like 8,000 people in Adobe globally. So we've gone from sort of 20,000 to 28,000 people. Um, You've also got to put measures in place that ensure that as you're increasing your workforce, you're your parity checks and your ranges um, are maintained so that, you know, the the role pay grade in any certain location is that's the pay grade and the range for the role. Yeah. And it's the role that is graded and gender doesn't come into
0: it. Yeah, it's... Uh- Obviously has achieved the great, great results. And uh surely there's lots of organizations that could learn. Do they knock on your doors? Do you have other companies knocking on your doors?
1: They do. Um, some of our bigger customers and our partners, um, we've shared our story around um around gender parity. And you know, it was quite a data driven, data driven exercise to to get to it. So, mm. you know, it's uh, yeah, we're very proud of it, but we don't take it for granted and we know that we have to maintain it.
0: Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. The first resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist, which contains all the elements that you will need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are you U OK? conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. I saw something intriguing in your early career, uh, Susan, that was that you had trained to be a magistrate <laughs> began the training to be a magistrate what uh, was behind that and why didn't you go the to <laughs> it?
1: so well actually so probably give you a bit of context so to be a magistrate in the u k um you are not a qualified you do not have to be a qualified lawyer right so a magistrate um in the u k and ninety four percent of all criminal um criminal cases are tried at magistrates court Mm -hmm. and in a magistrates court you have two magistrates and a chair and then you have legal counsel who are with you Mm -hmm. um where it really started was in when I was um 18 I applied to join the police force I've always had um an interest, (laughs) um, healthy or unhealthy, take it as you will, in the law. I've always been interested in law. I grew up in Northern Ireland. We left Northern Ireland during the Troubles. um, And I think that's always sort of given me an interest in justice Mm. um, and law and order. So long story short, I applied to join the police force in the UK and got all the way through and was accepted um, as a police officer But in doing some research, um, death-based research at that point, um, I established that there was not one female um, senior, you know, detective inspector, you know, top brass. There was not one female in the whole of the police force in the United (laughs) Kingdom that had made it to the absolute top-ranking officer. And I kind of decided that it wasn't going to be the place for me. Mm. So yeah with that you know went back into doing you know admin and secretarial work which is how i started out and um because i didn't go to university um that was never an option for me um and but i've always had this interest in the law you know i used to go go to because you can go into the public galleries at the courts and, and um found out that you didn't need to be a lawyer to be a magistrate and actually Um, a magistrate is a part-time job in the UK and got very excited by that when I realized that you could do it from, you know, a position, you know, even though I was an MD at the time in the UK, I could do it and I only had to do uh, 26 full days a year. But the training that they put you through is fantastic because as a leader who's always led with my gut, and my intuition, it teaches you um, something called structured Mm decision-making, because at the end of the day when you're in a court, you're only there to try on the facts and the evidence. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no gut feel that comes into deciding on somebody's future when they're in front of you for a criminal conviction. And so, yeah, I went through, I applied, I got accepted, I went through the training, and I served... um, on her Majesty's courts for a few years before I then got the opportunity to go and work and live in Singapore. And now I'm back. Um, I've literally just applied. I'm going to go back and, and do it once I've got this job under control. I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to probably take me another year, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and do it again because it was really satisfying for me. Um, and I it sort of helps my intellectual curiosity, I guess.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And how does uh, structured decision-making work? Are you able to explain that in layman's terms?
1: Oh, I'll give it my best shot, Graham. Um, <laughs> structured decision-making is basically following a tree. Uh, it's like a decision tree, right? So structured decision-making presents um, an opportunity where you're presented with a fact, right, and you need to challenge whether it's evidenced or not right so is it evidenced or not if it is then you move on to the next fact and then the next fact and then the next fact until you get to a final decision around you know and it can be around anything um so it's it's much more evidence-based um decisioning than I've ever really applied um prior to training as a magistrate which was probably about 14 years ago now. But it has changed how I make decisions in business, right? So, and as you get further up the tree, you know, you can't be close enough to, you know, all of the facts. So it really does make me much more thoughtful about, you know, getting to a decision, and it makes me follow a step, backed up with good intuition, I have to say. I mean, I don't <laughs> think you should throw, You shouldn't throw your intuition out the window, but um, because... You know, that comes with years, years of experience, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. But um, yeah. but no, I think it's uh, yeah, I'd urge anybody who gets the opportunity to to learn that to double down on it because it's great.
0: I can see how it'd be very helpful in your role or any leadership role, yeah. <laughs> being able to yeah. sort through the evidence and reach a, yeah. a good solution. And I guess the other thing that um has happened very much in the in the COVID period is that we can never be a hundred percent sure, can we, when we make a decision? You know, I saw that uh, Jeff Bezos has the 70% rule. you got 70%, that's close enough. Have a shot yeah. and then self-correct if that doesn't work out. How do you approach uh whether to go for something or not? You mentioned guts an important thing. Is there any other any other things that you rely on?
1: Yeah, I mean look, I think you can get decision paralysis, right? If you're if you're too purist mm. and you wait for all of the all of the evidence, you'll probably end up never doing anything. And sometimes, and particularly in leadership, your team needs you to make a call. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I'm with Jeff Bezos. I think generally speaking, I will go with. right? So if I've got 80% of the facts and I'll throw in 20% of intuition, um, then I will make a decision because, you know, certainly throughout my career working for leaders who will not make a decision, who want uh, collaboration and consultation until 100% of the team agree with the move Mm. um, is extremely frustrating. And, I think where that really played out was when COVID hit. You know, I saw in, in my, you know, interactions with our customers, I saw many customers who have been deliberating on projects, digital projects, for 12, 18 months, stand-up projects within 12, 18 weeks, because guess what? They had to, right? They, they were not going to survive or indeed thrive Um, if they didn't get their projects stood up. And what what worries me is I hope we don't go back to that, you know, um, situation where you've got to have all of the facts because sometimes you've just got to make a move.
0: Yeah. Creativity is obviously very important to Adobe. How do you foster a culture that encourages creativity?
1: Well, I think it starts with the team diversity and bring in different mindsets, different skill sets, different, you know, experiences into the room and giving them an opportunity um, to problem solve. We've had some of our biggest successes, actually. When I think about some of the problems, you know, solving business problems, I've seen teams that don't work together um, solve generally, solve problems quicker and teams who are very experienced together because you've put diverse, diverse groups into, into the room to problem solve. So the first thing is it starts with the people around the table, but also helping them find their voice. You know, I mean, we have, you know, we have people at all stages of their career mm. um, in Adobe. You know, if I look at some of our young interns and our graduates who actually at the event that I talked about, were up on stage presenting in front of 350 people and there were experienced people who, who, you know, that would put the fear of God into them. I am um, just always bowled over by bringing people together who you would not necessarily, and you have to remove your own bias, right? You would not necessarily expect to be able to solve problems, but bringing that diversity together, those diverse groups together and giving them an opportunity to find their voice I think I think that's how you how you um, ignite creativity um, yeah. within an organization.
0: I've always uh, loved reading about the Project Aristotle or um, Google, where they found out that there were five team norms, but by far the most important was psychological safety, and that's where yeah. people could be their authentic selves. They felt yeah. safe to be vulnerable safe to take, uh, you know, intelligent risks and know that they wouldn't be sacrificed if it went wrong. You know, the team would learn and move forward. And um, so psychological safety is also really important in those diverse teams, isn't it? It, it just so yeah. that people feel heard. And um, I read something else about you just being very, um, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something along, don't tell me that it's been tried before, Or it hasn't worked before. Tell me more, let's explore this further. And that's a very, very important approach, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I guess the way I look at it is when people come to me with problems, I I ask them, you know, are you the patient or are you the doctor? Right? Are you reporting the symptoms or are you going to tell me how we're going to cure it? And I want to encourage more of that dialogue, right? So all businesses have problems, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't need any of us, right? So, you know, all businesses have problems. But I think giving giving you know teams an opportunity where it's safe to speak up, first of all, where you know you're not going to be shot down in flames or marginalised because you're saying something different to the rest of the troops, yep. um, safe to safe to step, you know, speak up. And then also safe to lean in to solve problems, right, Mm. where your voice is encouraged um, irrespective of where you are in the organisation, right? Mm. So um, we're very lucky in Adobe. We have a fairly flat structure, to be perfectly honest, and I do think that really helps. Mm. Um, But I think our job as leaders is is to really hear those voices that we may otherwise not hear, Look for the silent voice because they haven't, people have an opinion Mm. and we need them to be able to share their opinions. But you're right, you know, psychological safety. You know, I've been in environments where I have not been psychologically safe. um, And it's a, it's soul destroying. um, And it generates a lot of stress in individuals if, you know, they aren't, they don't feel psychologically safe. Um, So, yeah, it's something. You
0: know, we've had to focus on very much. Yeah, I, I love um there's a TED talk by the hedge fund owner Ray Dalio, which "How to Have a Culture Where the Best Ideas Win," and yeah. um, and he talks, and he's, he's recently come out with a book called um "Principles." But you know, his his um, approach is you got to have a a culture where it's okay to make intelligent mistakes, but it's unacceptable not to learn from them. <laughs> so, like,
1: <laughs> <I> like that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome, right? You know, I mean, definitely, you know that. I find that really frustrating if something happens where. It's happened to us before mm. and we haven't learned from it, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think you do have to have an environment, though, where people do feel able to speak up and, um, and you know, that they'll be heard. It's not just speaking up, that somebody's going to listen.
0: Not having a uh, university degree hasn't affected your ultimate career trajectory at all. Did it at all in the early stages of your career?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I, I left school at 16, so I didn't even go on further education. Um, I came from, uh, um, I think it's probably fair to say humble beginnings is probably a polite way to say it, but uh, I came from humble beginnings. I was the eldest of four children and going to university was not an option. And my, my mother needed me to go and earn money um and help you know help pay pay my way so but it did hold me back you know I mean I remember going for some roles in um well I'll tell you I went for a role in uh, one of the big four banks in in the UK um and they knew I didn't have a degree but they put me through this really rigorous selection program only to tell me after this rigorous selection programme that I wasn't going to get the job because I didn't have a degree, which, you know, (laughs) it was was bizarre. But um, but there was a lot of bias back then. There was a lot of bias um, that people like me, I came from a very working class background, um, were not going to work in in a bank, right? So, and I thank goodness that, you know, that that is less the case now. I mean, a lot of organisations are not, are not insisting on university degrees and are actually running apprenticeships that like we used to have back in the day, you know? And mm. I think, I think that's fantastic. You know, I, so it did hold me back. I was very, very fortunate, Graham. I landed at the ripe old age of um, uh, 21. I landed in what we would now call a startup, mm. right? With a gentleman whose name is Mike Linus, um, who, um saw something in me that i didn't even know existed in myself right and he became what i now know is a mentor and a coach but mm-hmm. i was employee number number 2 in his uh in his insurance business and we took that business and grew it together to um Three, four hundred people, and I was—I went in as his, you know, his EA. I was hopeless mm. as an EA, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. My 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 current EA just looks at me in disbelief when uh, when I tell her I was an EA, and <laughs> uh, and he mentored me and coached me through basically most of my career. He gave me opportunity to fail and fail fast. He um, he took me under his wing. He was an entrepreneur, um, and. Yeah, he just gave me gave me the opportunity um, to become, you know, successful under his under his watch. And I went from EA. I did everything from operations management, marketing, sales, um, a bit of HR thrown in um, for good measure. And um, I worked with him for for a few years, um, and then the business was sold. And um, he created in me some resilience, I think, and the fact that you know. I became very confident that I could do anything if I put my hand to it, if somebody would just give me an opportunity. So that was my university education. I think I was working for Mike Linus at Countrywide <laughs> and I'm very grateful for it, even and to this day.
0: Did he ever tell you why he originally employed you, what it was that he saw that you didn't see in yourself?
1: It's really interesting you should ask that. So upon my return to the UK, I actually sought out Mike, who is now... He's in his 80s and um, I went a few weeks ago and had a cup of coffee with him and his wife and, um, and I actually thanked him for the opportunity that he'd given me and, you know, I would not be where I am today without what he did for me, you know, and um, I told him that I'm, I am going to write a book at some point when I get around to it. I've got a lot of material, a lot of material. <laughs> um, and, and I asked him, you know, in that, in that sort of coffee catch up, I said, you know, what was it? And um, he sort of pondered and he said, you just were so hungry, right? You wanted to prove, you know, that I had this, apparently, this prove people wrong because, you know, I came from, you know, I didn't have the best start in life. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people who, you know, didn't give me jobs, like the job in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't take the police job because, you know, I was, little did I know I was an ambassador for equality, even at the age of 18. And um, he said he saw something in me that knew that he needed somebody who was going to really get into the trenches and do anything that we needed to do in this startup. And he said, I knew you would do it. And, um, and in fact, he wrote me, he's recently written me um, a synopsis of the interview and what he saw. Wow. And he described. It. And so, yeah, that was, um, so, yeah, I think it was my street fighter style, I would say, <laughs> Graham, and, um, and he knew that I would work really, really hard. I had very strong work ethic is what he referred to. But, um, yeah, I'm very grateful um, and humbled, actually.
0: You've also mentioned, you know, the help of other mentors in your career. How did you, how do you find the right mentor? How's, how's, how's that work for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, in many cases for me, they've, they've sort of found me. I mean, Mike was my boss, right. And, you know, I was this, you know, raw talent that didn't really have a clue. And so, you know, we sort of found each other. Then, The other one that I would call out, the other person who who was a great mentor to me is a lady called Joy Griffiths who was at Experian, and she gave me the opportunity to go and work in Singapore.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I developed a relationship with her. She was a big ambassador for um, women in leadership, Um, a New Zealand woman, and we all know that, uh, you know, the Maori philosophy is that the women are the matriarchs and actually are the uh warriors and um and she lived that and um reached out to me persuaded me when my youngest went to university that moving to Singapore was a really good idea and that you know they would create this role which um they did and I moved to Singapore um left our three children behind which uh was quite, you know, it was quite a big shift, right? My husband had sold his business, um, and his view was this was my turn. You know, I'd kept my career in in the background a little bit. Um, he had his own businesses, and now it was my turn. And so she gave me the opportunity to take on a um, a regional role for Experian Asia Pacific in Singapore. And but she didn't just do that. So she then coached me through those few years um, because she had noticed things like I would not contribute on a subject that I didn't feel I was an expert in. Mm. And uh, about two weeks into my role in Singapore, she took me to one side and said, what's going on? You know, you were very quiet in that, that particular meeting. And I said, well, you know, these guys, they're the experts, you know, I've just arrived here, you know, who wants to hear from me? And she was very, very straightforward and said, we want to hear from you. I need your opinion in the room. I actually like the fact that you don't have the expertise, which going back to that creativity and problem solving, she helped me find my voice um, and was a big sponsor, you know, more than a mentor and a coach. She was a sponsor, you know, she sponsored me into the role. She then sponsored me to find my brand and my purpose with that role.
0: Yeah. When someone that reports to you doesn't live up to your expectations or doesn't deliver something you're hoping they will deliver well, how do you approach that?
1: Um, I'm very considered in how I approach that because there's always a reason why something doesn't quite go to plan, mm-hmm. which I think goes back to this structured decision-making, right? So how I would approach it is have a one-on-one conversation around this was the brief, right? This was the brief. Do we, do we both agree that that was the brief? Because there, there's always a possibility, mm-hmm. and particularly, you know, I mean, I run at 100 miles an hour. There's always a possibility that what you've said to someone is not what they've received, and there's been a communication breakdown. So the first check is... It has this gone wrong because I didn't communicate properly, right, mm. and didn't set the brief or set the KPIs? or um, So that's the first check. And then the second check is, well, what's going on that's caused this to miss? You know, what's the real variable that hasn't happened here? You know, have you not put enough time into it? You know, if the brief was clear you know, what's happened and where did we, where did this break down and try to understand it. Because I do always believe that people do come to work every day with positive intent. Nobody turns up intentionally wanting to do a crap job, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't. Who wants mm. Who wants to do that, you know? <laughs> so you've got to try and get to know what's gone on and mm. why not. And then you reset the bar and you reset the expectations. and. You know, hopefully by doing that and analysing it, you get to a good place. But if you don't, then, you know, at some point somebody has to make a decision about whether this is the right place for somebody to be.
0: What are the main themes that you will include in your book when you write it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, so I think it's going to be called you couldn't make it up because you know,
0: <laughs> good title.
1: because you absolutely couldn't, right? You just couldn't. This could never be a, a fictional story. Um, I think the main the main themes are going to be around resilience and um, mentorship and sponsorship and building your own personal board of directors through life. But also not taking yourself too seriously. You know, um, unlike your wife, um, I'm not curing cancer, right? Okay? I'm not curing cancer. I'm running a business. And the job of a leader is to get the most out of the people that you are humbled enough to lead. Um, And everybody has a role to play, even some of those who maybe don't think they do. Maybe they come from (coughs) humble beginnings and don't think they'll ever be... um, the CEO of a business or a leader of a business. And my story is, I think anybody can do anything they want to do, right? We all have it within ourselves to be as successful as we want to be. And that's, again, I, I, I caveat that with success is not about money or power or, or rank. It's about having a fulfilled life. Um, but you do need sponsorship and you do need opportunity and you know, some who come from very challenged environments never get that opportunity. And so, it's about opportunity, spotting opportunity, having sponsorship, and then working hard to deliver on it.
0: Mm. And and I guess it's also backing yourself. And and I saw an article about you in Australia, 2021, where you told the world that Adobe was going to double their business in the next two years. Did you have any Second thoughts about, uh, you know, shouting that to the world?
1: No, no, none whatsoever. And, um, and unfortunately, I've now told the Adobe UK and business that it's going to triple its business in the next <laughs> <three>. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, um, they're bold claims. My view on that is if you don't set big, hairy, audacious goals, you're always going to wonder what could you have done right? What could you have done? And, you know, we may not triple the business in the next three to five years. But by having that goal out there, we'll get much further than if we said we'd just double it, right? Um, And um, our global CEO says, you know, as leaders, we should set unreasonable expectations. Mm. um, Because you never know just where you'll get to. And so, no, I, you know, I really believe that we, are, we have an amazing brand. We have amazing products. Um, we empower creativity. We help businesses digitally transform. There's never been a better time to be in a business like this. Mm. Um, and our customers really need us. They really, really need us. Mm. And so, you know, um, I, think, and I think we can do all of that and have some fun along the way. It doesn't all have to be hard work and grit. You've got to have a bit of fun.
0: It's been a real pleasure catching up today, Sus. It's been um, really fascinating going through your life and what you've been up to. And um, uh, what was the title of the book? You wouldn't believe it. You <laughs> couldn't make it up. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's really fantastic. But, um, you know, reflecting back, if you could speak to your 18 year old self in Northern Ireland, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give that, that person?
1: the advice I would give is um, every failure is a step closer to success, whatever success looks like and work out what success looks like for you as early as you can, because I didn't really work that out until probably 14, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And since I've worked that out, I've had so much more balance um, as well. And then the third bit would be Don't take yourself so seriously.
0: (laughs) That's great advice. (laughs) Thank you so much for being part of the Caring CEO, Suze. It's been a real pleasure talking with you.
1: Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you.
0: Thanks for joining us today and we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.